the first word from Luke 23. As they led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore, and the breast that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they were crucified with him, along with the criminals, on, on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Simon of Cyrene, forced to do something against his will, to carry a cross. How could God be so cruel to an unsuspecting and innocent man? And yet, if it were to happen today, each and every one of us would jump at the chance to bear that cross for the honor of bearing the cross of Jesus Christ. Would we not also be willing to accept the honor of being crucified with him, like those two criminals that were crucified on either side? I think so. How wonderful it would have been to have stood at the foot of the cross hearing those words that flowed from his mouth, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Such a privilege. All these things we would cherish because we know now that he was bringing about the redemption of the world, that he was saving us from death, that he was reconciling our fallen creation to his holy and eternal Father in heaven. But strangely, when God does lay a cross upon us today, we struggle with that honor. When he calls upon us to suffer next to him, for him, for his church, for the gospel, we waffle. Why? Because being a Christian in an unchristian world has its price. That is why he prayed, not just for them, but also for us and even for our tormentors. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing.
the second word from Luke 23. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Staring, jeering, mocking, insulting. There is a price for being an agent of the truth. The price is not just having to endure sneering and jeering and mocking and the insults of haters and invaders, but the price of having a God who does nothing about it, who leaves his children helpless and powerless to push back. But who really won the victory that day? Was it the revilers, the haters who thought that they were so powerful, the baiters that thought they were in control? In reality, God was the winner. There was no power on earth greater than the power to be able to turn the other cheek, to bear up under hatred and blindness and cruelty, and to respond with love and forgiveness. To give us a glimpse of the power that divine love really has, God gave a gift to a criminal. That reviling criminal, at first reviling, suddenly saw injustice. The criminal saw foaming hatred, and then the criminal saw mercy and love and forgiveness, the real power of God that no human being could possess. Such things could only come from God himself. Only God could love and forgive such sinful men. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the criminal knew that his this all-powerful, forgiving man being crucified next to him was the Son of God. And the only one who had the power, therefore, to be able to grant eternal life. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, today you will be with me in paradise. Suspiting the size of the thief who near you dies.
the third word from John, 9, or John 16. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You are, you are not one of his disciples, are you? The girl at the door asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and the officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews came, come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby struck him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Ananias sent him still bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. As Simon Peter stood warming himself, he was asked, Are you not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, a rooster began to crow.
the fourth word from Matthew 27. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. And they came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults upon him. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Elohi, Elohi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Abandonment comes in many forms. There is the abandonment of a spouse when one person in a marriage forsakes another. Abandonment when it comes to the vows of love and devotion, leaving both spouse and children behind. Abandonment is painful. There is an abandonment, I suppose, in the workplace where employers care nothing for their workers or workers care nothing for the well-being and prosperity of their employers. Abandonment hurts and it embitters our lives. But no abandonment is greater, more severe, more damaging than when God forsakes his children. How could this be? Imagine that your house gets flooded and now the walls are full of mold and rot. What do you do? You abandon it. What happens when your garbage can has some of that two-day-old fish or three-day-old fish or five-day-old fish and you can't get it out? You abandon it. You throw it out. That is what sin does to us and to God. Our sins are horrific. They defile us. They make us odious to God. What is God to do? He should and must abandon us, but God did something other than that. He took the rot and the mold and the three-day-old fish with its stink of sin, and he laid it onto Christ. As he turned away, he forsook him because his son was bearing the sins of the whole world. Our sins, our rot, our filth, from us belonging to us 
placed on him so that now his Father will never turn away from us or forsake us because of our sins. fifth word from John 19:28. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. It is hard for you and for me to be people of our word. We make all kinds of promises, and we don't often fulfill them especially when some kind of obstacle arises that would require that we must make a sacrifice to fulfill our word. A business owner might make a promise to sell a product at a certain price, but when the wholesale price for him goes up and he reneges on the selling price because it would result in a loss, now that's what happens. But of course, then the customer does not buy from the owner again because his word has been broken, so his loss always ends up being greater in the end. Even we in our daily lives cherish and respect a man of his word. So I ask, does God live up to his promises? God irrevocably binds himself to the word, his word. His word cannot be broken. That is why it is said over and over again in the Scriptures, this took place to fulfill the Scriptures. God's promises can never be broken because God will never fail to live up to his word. Isaiah wrote this in the 53rd chapter. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. 
Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. The promises of the suffering Messiah could not be broken. God's word can never be broken. All iniquity, all sin has been laid on him. All things have now been completed and the scriptures have been fulfilled. The sixth word from John 19. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus was thirsty. We might wonder why he did not drink up to this point in his passion. At last, he was given gall to drink. It was vinegar mixed with a substance that would have reduced his pain, but a substance that would have made it difficult for him to be awake and alert enough to know what was happening. In short, he refused to be drugged. He wanted to know what he was doing to understand when his time of suffering would be over so that he could tell us when it was over. That, you see, is the gospel contained in those English words, it is finished. The verb in the Greek language is unusual, but it was only used when the thing that had happened brought about lasting and permanent results. When Jesus said, it is finished, 
he was saying that all sin committed by every and all persons in every place and for all time was paid for. The job was done. Justice had been satisfied forever. As it says in the book of Hebrews, unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. So it truly has been finished once and for all. seventh word from Luke chapter 23. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. What is it that makes a gift acceptable to us? If a gift has been stolen, then it would not be acceptable. If a gift has been given out of obligation or if it has been given by force, that would not be acceptable. If the gift has no value, that would not be acceptable. An acceptable gift must belong to the giver, be freely given, and be of great value to both the giver and the receiver. When Jesus died that day, he gave to his Father and to us a valuable gift. He gave the gift of his own life so that we might live. Now you might think that our Lord died in much the same way that we do after a long and prolonged suffering. His body gave out and he simply died. In other words, Death claimed him as it will also claim us. We cannot resist it or fight it when it comes. We must obey it when it rings our doorbell. But Jesus did not die in that way. 
Jesus said, the reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. The only person in all the world who has died freely of his own accord was Jesus. His life was a gift to his Father, a life that he gave in which his Father received, a gift freely given, a gift of infinite value, for it was the life of the Son of God. And because it is received by the Father, signaled in our text by the tearing of the temple veil, Jesus also had the right to take it back again, to live again, to rise again out of death. This means that God now offers to you and to me a gift of eternal life. It is free. It has not been stolen. It is freely given, not in obligation. It is of infinite value and could not be purchased at any price. For to be united to Christ is both to die and to live through him. Tonight, as we see our Lord dying, we must remember that we, the baptized children of God, have already died in him. That as he paid for all sin, so also all sin has been forgiven and washed away. That as he gave his life as a ransom to set us free from the curse of the law, that we too now have been freed from condemnation and have been given the right to be called the children of God. What a gift! free and of infinite value it truly has been finished now we can with confidence pray on the day of our death father into your hands i commit my spirit and in peace breathe our last amen mm -hmm.